you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Matthew with us this morning. Very uh, familiar passage. We've been working through uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, for a few months. And if you're paying attention there, you'll see that we only have about five more sermons to go. And I was thinking about it this morning, uh, five more sermons until the end of the, the series, not until I'm done preaching. So, uh, I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, every year for the last 22 years, I've gone to Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center, either as a camper to RYM, uh, as a college student um, through RUF and going to their summer conference, uh, or then as a chaperone. So for 22 years, I've gone and I've done that, and there's a point uh, in that trip where you get to, uh, on, on Interstate 10 to Thuniac Springs, I don't know if that's the way you pronounce it, but it's right there, and I know it well, you turn on 331 and you head south, and you know at that point you're about an hour there, so you've been on the road for six hours and you've got one more hour left, you're almost finished. Well, today I kind of feel that way about this passage. Uh, we have five more sermons to go in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we've seen a lot of things from this sermon. The reason why, uh, from, from Christ's sermon here, Sermon on the Mount, the reason why I wanted to preach this is to be a reminder to us of what Christ's expectations are for us, for his disciples, and how we're to live out what we say we believe. Um, so we have about five more uh, sermons to go. Next week we're going to see Christ talking about uh, the essential difference between um, Christianity and every other religion entering in by the narrow gate. We're going to get some warnings about false prophets after that. Then we're going to say, uh, you know, you know, the real importance of really truly believing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord and then building your house on the rock and not on uh, the shifting sands. Um, and then finally, we'll talk about the authority of Jesus Christ over life. So five more sermons to go. Uh, and this passage today, again, uh, Matthew 7, uh, verse 12 um, we're going to see the essential boiled down summary of what God's expectations are for us, his people. Um, and what Jesus is doing here is, uh, I think he's given us a summary of the last six commandments in the Ten Commandments. You'll know the first uh, four commandments of the Ten Commandments all deal with our responsibility to God. And the last six deal with our responsibility to each other. And what uh, Jesus is going to do is he's going to sum up all of those um, in, in this one very simple, uh, very, uh, very concise statement about what we should do. Um, what you're going to find is the golden rule. Uh, it really can be found in almost every teaching in every religion. Uh, this is not unique to Christianity in some ways. As a matter of fact, you can go into Wikipedia, you can type in the Golden Rule, and Wikipedia will come up in every single known religion, even Wiccans. Y'all know what Wiccans are? These are people that worship the earth, and they're kind of like witches and that sort of thing, a very growing and popular religion in the United States and in places of Europe today. Even they have a statement addressing the Golden Rule. And so you look at this and you say, well, well then what's the significant difference between Christianity and all of these other religions? Well, the significant difference is uh, every other time this rule has been given, it's been a man saying, this is what you ought to do. Here we have God himself, Jesus Christ, telling us how we should live our lives. And not only that, Jesus is saying this is the standard by which he treated everyone in his life. This is the standard that he held himself to, and he perfectly kept this standard. 
Uh, and that's good news to us. Um, so even though this is a very common ethical teaching, this is one that you can teach your children at very earliest ages, and you probably have done that or, or have did do that with your children when they were younger, uh, there is something that is, that is essentially unique about this because of the one who gives us this message. So let's read this, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord's help in understanding this word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who delivered this word uh, to us as disciples. I pray, Father, uh, that you would help us to understand it, that we would not put ourselves in the place of Christ that we would not put ourselves as a people who can make you happy in and of ourselves, but that we would see the reality of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of this command. Uh, Father, it is uh, our tendency to want to do uh, for ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I pray that you would help us to not do that, but to flee to Christ, to put our trust in him. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. So very briefly... This morning, I just want to talk about this in three uh, ways. Uh, I want to first of all look at that little word that it that begins with. So, some of your translations are going to say therefore. Some of your translations may not translate this at all, but it just begins with so, therefore. So that's the first point. Therefore, uh, and then we're going to talk about what the therefore is therefore. Right? Okay, we'll do that. Secondly, we're going to look at the rule and its application and implications for us. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the reason why Christ gave this rule. So let's look at the therefore first. Very short little word, uh, easily uh, kind of that we can skip over here. Jesus says, so. And again, some of your translations say, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? It's always a good thing to do. When Jesus does this, when he says this, he's meaning to build on everything that's come before it. So if we're just, just to skip over this, this word, uh, we're going to miss some of the very important teaching uh, that he's building off of. So he's building on the summary of what's come before it. What has come before it? Well, right before this, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, is how we deal with other people. Um, so in 7, 1 through 5, Jesus said, um, this is how you're to deal with brothers and sisters in Christ. You're to be charitable in your judgments of them. In verse 6, he talks about in terms of our dealing with people who are God-haters, who are outside of the fold of Christianity, who want nothing to do with God. And he says, don't cast your pools before swine. And then last week we saw in 7 through 11 that Jesus Christ said, this is how you're to go to God. You're to depend on him and ask him uh, in prayer for these things. And we're to, we're to be beggars. We're to be people who are desperate for God and for his help. Um, and so we saw that last week. And building off of that, Jesus is saying, now therefore... Uh, this is how you are to treat people. Uh, and he gives a very quick and easy summary, one that's, that again, uh, easy for us to understand. Uh, it's important for us to understand right now, uh, however, that this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus says, you're to treat other people as you would have them treat you, or whatever you wish that others would do, do also to them. That is not the gospel. Uh, and we need to rehearse what is the gospel. Because Jesus is building upon what the gospel is. The gospel is not what you do for God. The gospel is what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
Um, many people will say about this verse that that is what God expects for them and that in order to be saved, all they have to do is to treat people well because that's what Jesus says here, but that is not the good news. What Jesus is doing is he's building off of what he has already done for us. Even if you go back to what we talked about in, in the responsive reading and the things that we saw there, many people will go to the Old Testament and they will say the Old Testament is all about God's um, giving people, this is how you can be saved, is by keeping the commandments perfectly. And yet, what happens whenever we do that, when we go to the Old Testament and we say what God expects for his people are to keep the commandments perfectly in order to be saved, we miss the fact that Exodus, in, starting in Exodus 20, all the way through to the end of Deuteronomy, comes after God has already saved his people. One of the things we're doing on Wednesdays with the children when they come, we're going over the Ten Commandments. And how did the Ten Commandments begin? We tend to say the Ten Commandments begin with, I am the Lord, no, I'm sorry, we tend to say, have no other gods before me, do not worship any other gods. But that's not how the Ten Commandments start. The Ten Commandments start with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God begins by saying, I saved you. I've done this for you. You have not saved yourself. But what you can do in response is everything that comes after this. So the Ten Commandments are a response from people who have already been saved by Jesus Christ. They are not given to us to know how we can be saved. But again, they're a response to how, uh, to what Christ, or what God has already done in salvation. So again, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not what you do to save yourself. It is, um, the gospel is what Christ has done in his finished work. That he came and lived a perfect life for you. A life that you could not live. He kept these commandments and these expectations perfectly. Get this. He always treated people the way that he wanted to be treated. Everything, he did it perfectly. When he was tired, uh, Jesus got really tired. There were times when he withdrew from people and people came after him. You know what I'm like when I'm tired? <laughs> well, you've seen it a lot, right? I'm not very friendly. I'm not very nice. And Amy sees this more than anyone. I'm grumpy in the morning. And my hair looks weird, okay? I mean, that's who I am. And I don't want to talk to you oftentimes in the morning. Well, Jesus, when he was tired, when he was weary, when his hair looked funny because he slept on it, and you woke him up in the middle of the night, Jesus always is kind and gracious. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus keeps this law and keeps this commandment perfectly. And why did he do that? He did that so that... At the end of days, when you stand before God, and God is judging you, and He says, you know what, you woke up, and you only got four hours of sleep, and you said a crossword to your wife, God. But guess what? I'm accepting Jesus' righteousness for you. He did this perfectly when you did not, and so you're approved and accepted before God. That is the good news. So the good news is not about what you do for God. The good news is not that I kept, I treated people perfectly all the time, but that Jesus Christ did and His righteousness is for me. And that good news changes everything about how we respond to this rule that Jesus gives us. If Jesus is your Savior, if you say you've put your faith and your hope in Him, and He has given you His life, His righteousness, if He has died for you and took the punishment that you deserved, and He has risen from the grave to give you new life, then what do you owe Him? You owe Him everything. You cannot stand back and look at Jesus Christ and say, I'm not going to listen to this now. What you say is, at a heart that is filled with humility, you say, well, this is what my Lord commands of me, and so I will do my best to keep this, not in order to make him happy, 
but in order to respond out of gratitude to him because this is the way that he treats us. He died for us. He lived for us. He rose from the grave for us. And so he expects for us, his people, to love other people in this way. That's the first thing that we see, the therefore. Very important. The therefore is therefore uh, for us to go back and look at the gospel, to rehearse it, to remind ourselves that it's not about us and what we do. It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. So then he gives the rule, again, a very simple rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Uh, Very simple rule. Treat everyone the way that you want to be treated. Now the problem with this, and this extreme uh, expression of this, um, it's not a problem in the Lord delivering it, but it's a problem with the way that we hear this. Um, Because some of us hear this and we think, you know what, I I want to be left alone. I want everyone to leave me alone. And so what I'm going to do to treat everyone in this way, I'm going to leave everyone alone. I'm going to retreat into myself, and I'm going to be okay with me. You leave me alone. I'm going to leave you alone. Live and let live. That's my motto. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus here is putting a demand upon his people to not retreat away and say, I want to be left alone, and I'm going to leave everyone alone too. Actually, what he's doing here is he's putting impetus upon us to go out and to search for people and to love them the way that we have been loved. So it's not an excuse for us to be left alone. It's not an excuse for us to retreat. It's, it's actually a command for us to go out and to search for people. And this is essentially it, that in every situation we are in, to treat everyone in every situation, in every circumstance, with dignity, with respect, with charity, and with love. Get this, to treat everyone in every situation with dignity, respect, charity, and love. One reason why it's not an excuse to retreat and get away from people is because you can't love people you're not around. So there's impetus upon us to go and to search for people and to love them. Everyone. Uh, Jesus, uh, he gives superlatives here. Kenny and I go back and forth about superlatives. Superlatives are those things in the scriptures, the alls and the everys and the every time and all of those things. Jesus gives a superlative and he says, everyone, I want you to treat them with dignity and respect. Well, who's the everyone? And whatsoever, who are these people that he's talking about? Well, obviously, he's talking about the people that we're closest to or family members. Um, he's talking about the people that we work with, obviously. Uh, he's talking about the people that serve us when we go to restaurants. He's talking about the people that serve us whenever we have to call them because something that they've given us, like AT&T or some cable thing, has gone wrong. We thought we had the SEC network, and we don't have it. And the game is on, and I want to watch it. It didn't happen to me this week, but maybe some of you it happened to, right? To treat everyone with dignity respect. Even IRS workers. Oh my goodness. Have you tried to have a conversation with anybody at the IRS? Clyde has, right? (laughs) Some of you had to treat them with dignity and respect. And Jesus says here, you do that even when they're not treating you with dignity and respect. Wow, what a rule. What a rule. What's the ground? Why does God ask us to do this through His Son, Jesus Christ? Well, It has all to do with how he treated us. The ground of this rule is his very love. Uh, God's love for people can be broken up into two categories. The first category is called his common grace, his general grace. This is the love that God gives to 
um, to everyone, regardless of your relationship to him. Uh, you see this in Matthew 5.45. Just real quick, turn back one page. Matthew 5.45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's actually repeating something that he's already taught us. Repetition is good for the soul, and Jewish people understood that very well. Uh, And Jesus is repeating this over and over and over. He's reminding us that our love flows from from, from God's love. Very generally, he makes the rain and the sun shine on the just and the unjust. Right? You get rain, and your neighbor next to you who does not believe in Jesus gets rain too. That is God's common grace, His general grace. What does everyone deserve? What does everyone in this room deserve? Whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ, all of you deserve the very pit of hell. You have offended God. What have you gotten? Well, you woke up this morning. Hopefully you got a good night's sleep. But even if you didn't, you didn't deserve a good night's sleep. Right? You didn't deserve any sleep. You deserve the wrath of God for eternity over and over and over. What have you gotten? Well, this morning the air conditioner is working pretty nicely in here. I'm very thankful for that. We get a nice cool room to sit in. So even if you feel like it's torture for me to make you listen to this sermon, you still have a nice pleasant place to sit in. You have experienced God's common grace today if you do not believe in Him. So, what have you gotten? You deserve hell. What have you gotten? You've gotten decidedly. You have not gotten hell this morning. Why? Because God generally gives his grace and mercy in a very general way to everyone. Now, he gives his special grace to believers in Jesus Christ, the elect, as the scriptures call us. Uh, What do we get? Well, we get God himself. We get God's presence with us every single day. We get the fact that God gave himself to us, gave his son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect one who ever, ever deserved anything but hell. He deserved everything, heaven and earth, because of his perfection. And yet, God himself took hell for us. He gave us himself. So instead of getting hell, you've actually gotten the blessings of being a child of God, even this morning. So instead of just not getting hell, you get paradise if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what you get because of his special Saving love for his people. That's the ground of this rule, to treat everyone the way that God treats you. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve his love. You don't deserve the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and yet you have it by his grace. All right, so how do you want to be treated? Do you want to be treated the way that you treat people, or do you want to to be treated the way that God treats you? How do you want to be treated? So how do you treat people when they're just trying to do their job and they're getting in your way of just you trying to do your job? Well, how did God treat you when you were enemies of his? He laid down his life for you. He gave himself for you. He put your needs over and above his. So how do you treat people who really annoy you? Maybe your husband or your wife Maybe your brothers or your sister, maybe your children at this point are really annoying you. How do you treat them? Do you treat them the way that God treats you? Or do you treat them the way that you want to treat them? Because you feel like you're God and you can decide what's best. How do you treat people at the IRS, Clyde? I'm kidding. 
<laughs> How do you treat people who really annoy you? This is a question for us. Have we truly understood what it took for us to be in relationship with God? How then can we treat others? So going on from there, and we'll do this fairly quickly. The reason why Jesus Christ says we need to do this, this is the third point, the reason. He says, for, because, this is the law and the prophets. Um, if I had the time, I would, do, I would love to do this. We do this in our Bible studies. Um, I can show you that whenever that um, phrase, the law and the prophets, is used, um, it's in conjunction uh, and it's a formula that is meant to point us back to the Old Testament. The law and the prophets is the sum total of the Old Testament. You see this in Luke 24. Uh, you see this in Acts uh, 28 in Paul's preaching. Uh, you see this all over the place. Uh, in the New Testament, the law and the prophets, when used in conjunction, it's meant to put you back to the Old Testament. What's the law? The law is the first five books of the Old Testament. The law of Moses, the Pentateuch, is another way for us to say it. All of that uh, is the law, uh, because in, in Jewish mindset, the law is not merely um, what we need to do in order to keep a law to be right, but it's actually God's relationship with us. It's the covenant that God makes with us. The very uh, uh, beginning parts of understanding who we are uh, in Christ begins with what God has done for us through his covenants, and that goes back to the law first and foremost. What are the prophets? Well, that's the next section of the Old Testament. Uh, beginning with Joshua, Joshua going all the way through to the end of the Minor Prophets. Uh, the law uh, tells us about how God's Old Testament people did at keeping the law and how faithful God was to it. And all through those moments, what you see is God promising to be faithful and true and gracious to a people when they are not faithful and gracious and not true to Him. So you see all about God. And what Jesus Christ is doing here is he's pointing us back to that Old Testament story, to the old, old story of God's salvation of his people. That it does not rest upon the faithfulness of us in order to make God happy, but it rests upon God and his covenant faithfulness to us. Why should we keep this law? Again, it goes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about that old story. The story of God's love for a people who do not love Him. What this does is it's, it's a call to radical obedience. Not based upon us and our being able to well up this power in ourselves to love God, but based upon His gracious love for us. What do we see in, uh, in the writing of John, in the epistles and the letters? Uh, what do we see in uh, the Gospel of John? Uh, Jesus Christ tells us, they will know us by our love for each other. They will know us by our love. They will know us. They will know that we are God's people whenever love flows out of us because he's given it to us out of his grace and his mercy. They will know us because of our love. How do people know you? How do people interact with you? Do they interact with you because you're a loving person or do they know you as a judgmental person? What's the reason why you want to keep this law? Do you want to keep it because you think God is a mean God who isn't gracious and loving and he expects so much of you and you have to do it or he's going to bang you over the head? Or do you recognize that he's already saved you? That by his grace and mercy at a time in the past, his son went to the cross for you. The reason that Jesus Christ gives here, the reason why we keep this law is not for ourselves but for him. 
There's a radical call in the midst of this to charity and generosity. Jesus is teaching us that all of the Bible, all of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is about grace, God's grace. Well, how does this give us life? Because it points us to Jesus Christ and his fulfillment of the law for us. Um, if you want to talk about a summary, Jesus is summarizing everything that he's taught. Well, if you go back to the very beginning, to the Beatitudes that we talked about, um, Jesus begins there by telling us that we are poor in spirit. But guess what? Jesus Christ is rich in spirit, and out of his richness, he gives us his righteousness. We have a standing with God because of him. And so this passage forces us to go back to the beginning and to retell the story over and over and over that it's not about us, but it's about God's radical, life-giving grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, so who are you? Do you love others? Do you desire to treat others well? If you're like me, and you do that heart search, and it's hard, and you realize, eh, I really don't like loving others that well. It, 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 it gets in the way of who I want to be. And you realize, well, maybe... I don't truly understand what Christ has done for me. This is a call for us to go back to the gospel, to recount it to ourselves, to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ and for His grace to rest upon Him. This is not a call for you to live up to His expectations, but to do it out of a heart that's grateful because He's already done it for you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. You have said that the people of this world will know us by our love. And unfortunately, Father, I'm afraid that I am known more for my judgmental spirit, for my lack of charity, for my hard-heartedness, for my harshness, for my lack of love fear that for many of us here. Pray that you would be pleased to convict us of our sin, to have us flee to the Lord Jesus Christ for grace. Pray this in his name.